Hey everybody, Michael Cohen here. Welcome back to another episode of Cohen's Corner. Thank you very much for tuning in to today's show. As always, you can find episodes of this podcast available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you listen to shows. If you happen to be listening on an Apple device, we encourage you to leave us a star rating, preferably five stars if you like the show, and feel free to leave a comment or a review as well. I check all of them and I really appreciate the feedback I've gotten so far, and I hope to hear from some more of you down the road. Support for Cohen's Corner is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The quarantine is almost over, and the reopening is happening around the country. There's a chance that nobody has seen your balls in a few months. Don't ruin your first post-quarantine date with some unsightly hair. Would you show up to the first day of school without a haircut? I know I never did. Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced while preparing yourself for post-quarantine life. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0 Essentials Kit. This comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, water-resistant cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when you're done quarantining. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing deodorant which ensures that your afternoon stroll doesn't end with something stuck to your leg. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts that will give your balls a boost. Subscribers to the Peak Hygiene Plan get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer stays fresh and clean. The light is at the end of the tunnel, fellas. Treat yourself for making it through quarantine with the Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code COHEN, C-O-H-E-N, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code COHEN at manscaped.com, C-O-H-E-N. One more time, that's 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code COHEN, C-O-H-E-N, at manscaped.com. Your first date post-quarantine will thank you. Today's guest is regarded as one of the best defensive minds the NFL has ever seen. Wade Phillips broke into the league as defensive line coach for the Houston Oilers in 1976 when his father, the legendary Bum Phillips, was head coach, and he was still on the field this past season as defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams. In between, he worked for the New Orleans Saints, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Denver Broncos twice, the Buffalo Bills, the Atlanta Falcons, the San Diego Chargers, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Houston Texans. He's been the head coach of three separate franchises, the Broncos, the Bills, and the Dallas Cowboys. He's also been an interim head coach three times, once with the New Orleans Saints, once with the Atlanta Falcons, and once with the Houston Texans. He was the architect of that unbelievable Broncos defense in 2015 that beat Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, and MVP winner Cam Newton three games in a row to capture Super Bowl 50. He was named the NFL's assistant coach of the year that season, and that Broncos group allowed the fewest yards in the NFL, the fewest passing yards in the NFL, they had the most sacks of any team in the NFL, and they allowed the fewest yards per carry of any team in the league. Wade Phillips' career has spanned more than five decades, and he has enough stories to tell for as long as I was willing to listen. So without further ado, let's get into a conversation with the one and only, a football lifer, known on Twitter as Son of Bum, Wade Phillips. 
Well, Wade, thank you very much for taking the time to join me. I appreciate you carving out a little section of your day. I know that, you know, one of the cool things that, that you've been doing in the past couple of weeks and months is is having a chance to talk to some, some football staffs around the country, whether that's high school or some college coaches and things. And, and I'm just curious, what what is that like for you to be able to kind of give back a little bit and share some of the knowledge you have with some, some coaches who would one day hopefully like to be in your position? Well, excuse me. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. Fun for me. It's uh, you know talking ball and uh, you know high school high school coaches from you know like you said from Massachusetts to to California. I mean, I, I don't know. I've probably called talked to seventy five to eighty high school high schools, and it's been it's been a real neat experience for me because uh, I remember how I was you know wanting to learn, wanting to you know, hear from somebody that I felt, and, and I was lucky to be around my dad who, you know, had, had the experience and could help me on all that stuff. But it's, I, I remembered how much fun it was to be around coaches and, and learn from them. So it's, it's fun for me to do it. With such a big, you know, disparity in, in both the level of play and the complexity between the NFL and, and high school, what are the kinds of things that, that you can help them with given that there is such a, a wide gap in, in what's going on on the field? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it comes down to fundamentals, and we still teach fundamentals. And uh, you know, it's uh, and the pro level, it, it still starts with uh, you know, uh, you know what to do, how to do it, and then do it with a hundred percent effort. So, I mean, those those things haven't changed. One of the reasons I was excited to be able to connect with you for for an episode of the podcast is I really love, you know, sort of the story about, you know, you and your dad and how you had the opportunity to not only learn from him as a kid, but then, you know, play for him a little bit in college and then work with him a number of times along the way in your career. And so... You know, I'm just curious. Growing up as as the son of a of a coach, and and you know, being around the game from a young age, what was it about you know your relationship with him that that felt so special back when when you were very little and he was getting into coaching, you know, for the first time there in in the fifties? Yeah, well, I mean, I was a water boy, <laughs> you know. I, I uh, but to see my dad, I had to go down to to the field house to where he worked, you know, and so. Uh, that was my opportunity to be around him and, and other coaches who I looked up to. But, you know, I really looked up to the high school players because they were, you know, in Texas especially, they were they were kind of my heroes, you know, as far as I got to go to the game every Friday night. And my dad was coaching high school, and they were winning every game and playing for state championships. And so uh, I got to be around that. And, uh, you know, that was, that was fun because I, li- I like sports and obviously like football. With the popularity of, of high school football in Texas, is that the kind of thing where a young kid back then, you know, you would know the name of the starting quarterback for your team and, and you'd know who the guys are and things, even if you were, you know, only 10 or 11 years old? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I knew all of them. <laughs> but like I said, I was the water boy. I mean, I went to practice. You know, I'd go to practice and, and they actually did have a water bucket and, and – uh, uh, you know they didn't give them water in those days, but they they give them wet towel. So you know I, I was the one to give them the wet towel, and they they liked me for that. So, <laughs> it's just hot in Texas to practice, so so I got to you know I got to do that, and then uh, I got to be on the sideline during the games. You know it was you know it was pretty neat. 
about how old were you when you started really kind of, you know, maybe having some lessons from your dad about football, starting to understand even the basics of the X's and O's and things like that? You know, I can remember being in elementary school and, and I think I had enough pennies and nickels where, you know, the, the pennies were, I had 11 pennies and, and, and 11 nickels and, you know, I'd, I'd line them up on my desk in, in school. So I, I remember doing that, you know, second grade. So, uh, you know, <laughs> because I saw it all the time, you know, I'd go down to where my dad worked at, at the field house, like I said, and they had chalkboards in those days. And, they'd be drawing up circles and all 11 players on offense and defense. And so, um, you know, I started noticing that when I was real young. Did you, did you enjoy that kind of analytical side of things even when you were younger? Oh yeah. 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 I was always interested in uh, in math, you know, um, that kind of stuff anyway. So, um, you know, it kind of intrigued me and, and it was different than what I was learning in school, but it was it was still interesting how they you know it's you know they say it's a chess match, but it 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 is in some ways you know it's uh, because but the players are obviously different uh, different than chess pieces. As as you got older and started playing yourself, what what type of influence was was Bum on on your playing career? Was he the type of dad that gave you a lot of advice and things as you were you know moving through the different age groups? Well, he coached me, you know. I mean, I, he coached me in high school, so um, <clears throat> my junior and senior year in high school. So uh, he was my high school coach, too. Um, but um, when he was at – when I was in uh, – before I got my junior year in high school, he was coaching at uh, Texas Western or UTEP. Then, and I would go down there all the time. And he, You know, he'd always tell me, hey, you know, if you want to play, you need to do this. You know, you need to lift weights or you need to go in there and – throw the football or whatever I needed to do. So he'd always just say, hey, if you want to play, this is what you need to do. So I'd, I'd go do those things. I'm wondering if, you know, being around a coach for as long as you, you were as a, as a young kid, um, I'm curious, did you did you think of yourself or your future more in coaching or was the dream still to, to try and make it to the NFL at some point as a player back then? Well, I had no concept of the NFL. I just, I just played ball and having fun playing football went to college playing football and it you know my senior year really before my senior year i realized i wasn't going to be an nfl player right uh, but i mean my goal was never uh, as a young kid to be an nfl player i just like playing ball like you know and i played football baseball basketball i mean whatever um i was better at football so i ended up getting a scholarship and um and played that but you know we I, I just I, I never really thought about it until until I found out I wasn't going to go any further, and I knew what coaches did. I knew what knew what I knew what my dad did. I knew what I knew how much fun he had doing it. So um, I knew what a coach was. I didn't, you know, I, I knew an engineer drove a train. That was about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, when... so I didn't. Go into, so I didn't go into engineering. <laughs> so when you get to um, when you get to the University of Houston and your dad is is the defensive coordinator there and you know sixty five and sixty six, did you um, did you start to to really kind of you know pick his brain a little bit more and and start to kind of think about uh, finding your own way into coaching at that point because like you said you you knew you weren't going to reach the NFL. Well, uh, yeah, I hadn't even thought about the NFL. I just. Uh... 
now, you couldn't play as a freshman in those days. So, uh, so I was on the field during the games and and on the actually on the phone with the coaches uh, during the games uh, when I my freshman year. <clears throat> Instead of them talking to my dad, they were talking to me, and I would transfer what they said during the game uh, to him. Um, you know, in high school, uh, you know, my, my senior year was the only year I got to play because we moved every year and you were ineligible. Right. Uh, so, so my senior year was the only year I got to play. And and as far as how my dad treated me, he told me, hey, if you're not better than the guy at your position and everybody knows it, then I'm not going to be able to play you. And I said, well, okay. So um, I played middle linebacker and I was starting middle linebacker and I played quarterback and and uh, the first game, he uh, he started the other guy that was playing quarterback, you know. Uh, and I guess it was close. I don't know. I don't think it was that close. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we we got behind at halftime, and he put me in, and we came back in one second half, and I played, you know, the rest of the time, started the rest of the time at, at quarterback and middle linebacker. But he, he was, you know, he was that way. He would always just tell me, He'd always tell me what it took to play and, you know, how much I had to go lift weights or had to do this to be able to do it. And I had to be better than – everybody had to know I was better than the other guy or he couldn't play me or didn't didn't want to play me. But all the guys I played with knew, knew I was. <laughs> what um what was it about the connection between you two and, and the bond that, that made you comfortable and, and excited to, you know, when you broke into coaching, be able to work with your dad? Because obviously there are some, you know, parents and kids who, who don't get along well enough to do that or simply wouldn't wouldn't want to do that. So what was it about your guys' relationship that was special enough to, to make that environment successful? Well, you know, uh, I mean, in Texas, you know, the high school coach is <laughs> revered, especially when you're winning. Uh, you know, I mean, he's the most popular guy in town. Uh, you know, he and the, the preacher and the mayor are the most important people in town, basically. Sure. You know, so, uh, you know, and, and the way he treated, uh, the way he was, every, everybody liked him. Um, and he was winning, so, uh, you know, everybody looked up to him as, as I did. So, And he always, like I said, he treated me. Uh, he just told me what it took to do whatever I needed to do to be better at whatever I was doing. And, and so, uh, because I had to lift weights during baseball one time, and it was hard to play lift weights and then play a baseball game. So I finally let him, I finally uh, got him not to let uh, lift weights on the days that we were playing the game. So, but, uh, but I, I just, I enjoyed being around him as everybody else did. So, um, you know, I, I took that with me, I guess. So in 1973, when you get your first college job coaching linebackers at Oklahoma State, did you have to interview with your own dad? <laughs> no. No. He, uh, uh, well, he had seen me coaching, you know, when I sure. was in high school. And, uh, uh, and and he knew. I mean, I you know, I'd been around him and, and talked football, you know, or been around, at least uh, listen to football, you know, listening is a skill. So, uh, it's important that, you know, I learned a lot by just listening because of his experiences. So, uh, so I got to be around him that way. And then, uh, yeah, there was a job open and for a young guy, you know? And so, um, 
So I came in and, and uh, did that. And when we did well, we won, we won the, the uh, Fiesta Bowl two years in a row there. So we had, we had a good team. What were some of the, the you know, primary philosophies or, or formations and things that you guys were using on defense back then? Because one of my one of the things that I find most fascinating about your career is that for the, the incredible longevity that you've had, you've also had to adjust along with multiple different, you know, eras, if you will, of football. So when you first got started, what did defense look like back then for you guys? Uh, we you know, I played a four three in, in high school. I mean that's what my dad coached in high school and then uh uh, and we played a four three when when we were coaching in college. When he got in pro ball, he 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 liked the three four, and so we were the first ones with the Oilers there to run the three four defense, you know, full time. So uh, so it, that changed back and forth, but it's still it's still football. I mean, it's you know, no matter where you line up, it's it's you know, teaching uh, you know, run block, run run and blocking, tackling. You know, that's football. For for two you know guys who who spent the majority of their lives in in Texas, did it mean something special to have your first NFL job, you know, be with the Houston Oilers, and then of course your dad is is the head coach there. Does that mean anything special to to two Texans? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of pride. Uh, Texas people are kind of proud to be from Texas. I'm not sure why, but uh, but we all are so. Uh, and especially football. I mean, football. I mean, my high school still they they get twelve thousand people a game. You know, and yet wow. and you got uh, and you've got uh, season. You got to have season tickets to to uh, sit in the middle section. So um, you know, it's it, it's it's just a big deal. You know, football is really big, and 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 I I think it's great for young people. I mean, you learn you learn great things even if you don't going to be a college player or even a pro player i mean you still still it did more for me than i'll ever do for football that's for sure so what was your first impression of of the nfl you talked about how when you were younger you didn't even think about you know getting there yourself as a, as a player but then here you are in 76 when um you know you're hired as the defensive line coach of the oilers and your dad's the head coach as i mentioned you're together in that particular franchise from 76 to 80 w- what did you make of the league back then yeah it was a step up obviously then you know pro football when i was a little kid we didn't we didn't have a team in Texas, so uh, you know the colleges were colleges and high schools were were more dominant as far as what I was thinking about. But we did see the Bears on TV, and I, I so I like I like the the Bears, you know. Sure. So, uh, back then, but uh, but NFL wasn't wasn't as big, you know, till you know it got huge now. It's probably the biggest sport there is now, but. Uh, so NFL wasn't, you know, college was really big, and then, uh, and then the NFL came along. So uh, it, it wasn't geared towards being in the NFL really uh, at one time, and then, and then it got to a point. Well, you know, each step up, you're in a coach in high school, then you coach in college, and then if you could coach in the NFL, that seemed to be a step up. So when that franchise was, you know, sort of moving through that time period in the late 70s, approaching 1980, how how much did things change 
um, you know, when they have that number one pick in 78 and you guys take Earl Campbell. When I was doing my research, I saw this this great quote from you about how I believe you were recruiting at Notre Dame that day when you found out that the Oilers had traded for the number one pick and they drafted Earl Campbell, who, you know, is just an all-world phenomenal talent. So what is that like for a, a franchise and to be part of a staff that, that gets sort of a transcendent player like that? Yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, you know, when the Oilers, I don't know how many years, but they hadn't won any games until my dad took over. Yep. Uh, in a long in a long time. So um so uh and then when we got Earl we were certainly to be reckoned with. Uh, I mean he was such a dominant player and a great player and a great person too. So, you know, that that was neat. When I looked at his stats from those first 3 years, he rushes for 1450 in year 1. 1600 almost 1700 in year two and then 1900 in year three with 45 total touchdowns during that time what made him so good uh he was big strong and fast <laughs> <laughs> you know he he was 240 240 pounds you know he wasn't a little guy and and he could he was i mean you know against miami that the great Monday night game we had in Miami against Miami, he ran 75 yards for a touchdown uh, on his 35th carry. I mean, he had stamina. He he he, uh, he was just. I mean, if, you know, people that hadn't seen him or didn't see him. I mean, just look up YouTube or whatever and watch him run, and then you'll see. You know, I know the beast mode was great, but this guy. <laughs> This guy was way before him, and and I think a whole lot better. So I mean, he was, I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. He should be, but I mean, he was, a, he was the Rookie of the Year and the NFL Player of the Year, yep. first year. I mean, he was, <laughs> he was phenomenal, and everybody knew it. You know, one of the things that I I wasn't really aware of because that was before my time. Again, until I you know started doing some research for for this interview was just how close uh, he was to to your dad and to you and and sort of the family in general. What was it about um, you know I guess the the way you guys interacted that you know formed a, a lasting bond off the field as well between the three of you? Yeah, I mean it, it was him, but I, it was a whole the whole team i mean uh that's just the way my dad was i mean you know i, I don't know many coaches before or, uh, or now that uh the players call him by his first name you know they all call him bum you know and i, I don't see you know i don't see him calling belichick bill or <laughs> you know, i mean you know so it was a unique uh, he he just uh, that's just the way he was, and he wanted to be. He wanted to make it personal, you know. He wanted to be a family, and you know, I, I just I just uh, I, I was just on a Zoom call with uh, one of the players from that time. He's seventy years old yesterday, and Al Johnson was a backup player uh, and a great guy. And and I I was on the Zoom call with him yesterday and talking about my dad and what a family atmosphere it was and, uh, you know, uh, and how much he, how much we liked each other, you know, yeah, especially with all the stuff going on in the world now, you know, so, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it was just the atmosphere, you know, you're, you're a product of your environment. Well, the environment there was, was, I think, unique. I mean, I just don't know any, any, 
I've never been anywhere like that. That that like I say that the head coach was uh, called by his first name, and his first name was <laughs> was Bum, which is <laughs> kind of strange too. So. Yeah, I was reading about, you know, how there would be card games and that, you know, when you guys later got to New Orleans, that there would be, um, you know, there would be musical acts that would come and play for the team or there would be a, a night where the guys would have pizza and beer and, you know, that, um, you know, on the team playing after games, there were little, you know, quizzes to kind of break down the game and, and sort of test the players a little bit. Um, you know, w among those types of things, what were some of the, the actions that, that stood out to you as, as being unique to that situation? Yeah, I mean, all of that. I, you know, I mean, I, I think one of the sayings was, and, and, you know, I've always kind of lived by that too, is that, you know, you know, half of it's winning, but the other half's having fun. And, uh, you know, he believed in that. I believe in that. I mean, I, you got to enjoy what you're doing, you know, and, uh, and that's got to be important. That, that's going to be an important part of it too. And it, it, you know, even even if you win and you don't have any fun, I just don't. It's a game, you know. So uh, that's the way he approached it, and, and that's the way I think it ought to be. After that stint in Houston, you guys have the opportunity to go to New Orleans where, you know, once again, your dad's the head coach beginning in 81 and, and you get promoted to defensive coordinator. Um, you know, to, to have that chance to run the defense for the first time and, and to do so alongside your dad, what was the experience down in Louisiana like for you guys? Oh, it was good. I mean, it was the same, you know. I mean, he, uh, uh, you know, a lot of Coaching defense. I mean, he was a defensive coach, so I just I went to him all along, and you know what we were going to do and how we we're going to do it. And, you know, there there was only you know I think there was when I was with the Oilers. I mean, there was only like three coaches on defense. I mean, it's not like right. Uh, you know, three or four coaches is all you had. So uh, uh, so you. I mean, I don't know. I guess you learned more. You did more then for sure. You know, because we broke down all the games and uh, did everything that ten coaches do now. So we still have to get you have to get it all done. So, uh, so you learn a lot. I think you learned a lot in those days to be a coordinator, just to, just to know more about. Because uh, I coached, yeah, I coached linebackers and I coached defensive line, but you know, I knew a lot about the secondary because and there weren't but a few of us talking football all the time. What were some of the things that, you know, your defense wanted to accomplish? In other words, what were some of, like, the, the schematic, um, you know, tenants that you guys were always going to, to live by on your defense? Well, you know, we played 3-4, and like I say, nobody was really playing that at the time. and uh, So that was a little – I thought it was an advantage. Uh, uh and I like the mobility of the defense anyway. But we, we were playing some zone matches on stuff that nobody was playing either. So, uh, you know, we led the NFL in pass defense twice in New Orleans, which the Dome Stadium were, you know, there's no there's no bad weather games to, to help your stats. So uh, uh, we were pretty good at that. I mean, we played mostly zone there, and uh, it, was, it was pretty neat the way, the way those guys could play. Um, we had some good defenses there. 
What was it like to to teach zone defense to guys? Is that something that that pro players pick up pretty easily, or is that a big adjustment coming from college? Well, match matchup zone is different. You right. Know, we took that from basketball. You know, basketball was playing the. You know, they were playing the one three one two two three zones and stuff like that. And you know, they started overloading areas. You know, in basketball. And so they started match what they call match zone, where you're you're not playing man to man, but you're zone in that area with the same number of players that they have, and that's that's the concept we kind of took and 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 started using it in football, and that way you don't have to run with them all the way. You can pass them off to the other guy, you know, those kind of things. So I mean, it, it was we had some smart players, and that helped, you know, at New Orleans. That's some smart guys that, uh, and they didn't have to be. They didn't have to be great, great athletes, but they had to be smart enough to, you know, know see where the guys were in their areas and be able to pass them off to the other guy when they needed to. And we tell them, you know, never pass a guy off to air. You know, you can't pass <laughs> a guy off. Nobody there. So, uh, so they learned that well and 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 played it really well. And we had some good players too, certainly. That's really interesting that you were able to take a concept from from basketball. When I was a, a student at Syracuse University and working for the the student newspaper, there was one particular spring where I was covering the lacrosse team. And in Syracuse, lacrosse is huge. They've won a number of national titles, and they're perennially one of the better teams in the country. And Jim Beheim, the basketball coach, Hall of Fame coach, used to come to some of the lacrosse games and sit in the press box, and he would draw on a napkin some of the defensive schemes that he saw the lacrosse team playing because, you know, if Jim Beheim's famous for anything in basketball, it's the 2-3 zone that he plays religiously yeah. now. And so he used to kind of take take concepts from one sport to another. Um, you know, I don't know if you had the opportunity to do that again, but is that is that common where, where guys can look at, you know, different things that are outside their their particular arena and try and bring them into football no i don't know <laughs> i mean uh, uh yeah i mean whatever can help you obviously you, you look at i mean uh yeah i mean i i i, I look at tennis players you know uh, how quick they are laterally and try to teach lateral quickness from from some of the things that they do so i mean yeah i, I think you take stuff from other sports if you can you know that's really interesting. I'd never heard anybody talk about that either when it comes to when it comes to football, tennis and, and lateral quickness. But it does it does make a lot of sense. Um you know, in, in terms of well, they're, the, they're, they're hitting the ball a hundred miles a hundred miles an hour and you you're standing on the other side, you've got to be pretty quick. Well right. How do they get that quickness? What what do they how do they do it? So uh, you know, you watch watch their feet and you'll see, you know. So Did you ever play tennis? No. I mean I played, you know, just just for fun. But, sure. Uh, yeah. But tennis wasn't a big sport in Texas, <laughs> especially in the summer. Yeah, I can Pretty imagine. Hot. That that hot surface would be brutal. Be brutal. Um, it, that experience in New Orleans, you know, uh, I, I was reading an article in the Washington Post from that 85 season, which is when your dad ended up stepping down partway through the year, and, and you ended up becoming the uh, the interim head coach. And, and there was a quote you had you know, at that time in 85 where you said, I thought it would be the happiest day of my life when I got to be a head coach in the NFL. It's an emotional time for me because obviously in order to become that interim coach, it involved your dad kind of stepping down. Um, you know, now that you've, you know, years have passed since that experience, 
what was it like to kind of assume, you know, control of a team, which of course would have been your dream, but to do it under such, um, you know, just kind of strange circumstances? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was terrible at the time. I mean, uh, at, terrible in that, I mean, Tom Benson came in and, and I, I heard it the night before and then Tom Benson came in, he's crying, to, telling the team that Bum's retiring, you know, and, and the players are crying. And I, I am too, I think. And so, uh, and then, you know, then they named me the, the interim head coach. Uh, but, uh, and I didn't know I was going to be hitting And My dad didn't, didn't retire and say, Hey, I want Wade to be the, you know, take over. And so I always appreciated Tom Benson, you know, at least, looking to me to take the team, you know, which is, a, I mean, interim coach is probably the hardest. It's probably the hardest job there is, you know, because it's not, you don't start out with them. And the reason you're the interim coach normally is because things aren't going well. So uh, uh, you just try to get them to play as hard as they can play. And, you know, hopefully do you do that. Yeah, I remember when I was covering the Packers in Green Bay, you know, after they fired Mike McCarthy, Joe Philbin became interim coach, and, and I wanted to understand what that was like. So I had reached out to a bunch of different guys that had been interim coaches, whether it was, you know, Dave McGinnis with the Cardinals or uh, Dick LeBeau uh, was an interim coach at one point, and I, I talked to four or five different guys. And it's funny you described it as, as the hardest thing because the, the headline of the story was a quote from one of the guys, and he said, quote, it's the hardest thing you'll ever have to do. And and you had the, I don't know if it's uh, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but you had three chances at it over the course of your career, in addition to some own, you know, full head coaching opportunities yourself. But I mean, to be in that scenario three times where you have to kind of assume control under less than ideal circumstances, uh, was it any easier the second or the third time? No, it's a, it's really the same. Uh, uh, you know, you kind of appreciate a little bit that the administration or the owner you know thinks you can guide him through the rest of the season but uh, uh, and you know and and they think yeah I guess they think you're a good enough coach to do that so that you know that's that's the only good part of it but the, the tough part of it is you you know you didn't train the team you didn't uh, you didn't really you didn't have anything to do with the culture or anything as far as those kind of things are concerned. And you really can't change what you're doing offensively or defensively very much. I mean, especially defensively, I was coaching the defense, so I shouldn't, shouldn't change too much. Right. But offensively, you know, uh, uh, you know, when I took over for Dan Reeves, I mean, you know, he was the offensive coach. So, you know, you had to worry about that too. Yeah, I can imagine that it would have been a little strange, too, the first time because, you know, not only are you being thrust into a situation that you didn't expect to happen, but, you know, the the guy who, you know, had brought you along and taught you the game is the one that you're replacing. And I think naturally you'd want to still talk to that guy and lean on that guy, your dad, for for advice. And and the, the quote from your dad in that Washington Post story I thought was, you know, again, I never met your dad, but from what I've read and heard, it seemed like, you know, prototypical bum, which was thanking the coaches, thanking the players, thanking the owners, thanking the fans and saying, even the fans who dumped beer on me, because at least they were mad enough to care. And that just kind of sounded like a perfect, uh, a perfect bum Phillips quote. So how did he sort of, um, what were your interactions like with him for the remainder of that season? I think it was four games. 
not much. He took off. You know, he moved moved back to Houston uh, uh, pretty quickly. So, um, I, you know, I pretty much talked to him after every game I've ever coached uh, since, the, uh, you know, since that time. So, I mean, he, you know, he was always encouraging when you lost and, and saying, if you won, you know, saying, hey, the next opponent's going to be really tough, you know. So, and that's kind of how he approached me so, uh, with me. And so, and we talked in football, you know. But, yeah, I talked to him after the games. But, uh, but that was, you know, and that, that lasted, you know, the rest of the time I coached. Yeah, I think I talk to him every time, every game, after every game. Yeah, and and that's that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about next because you know after you um, after your time in New Orleans, you go and you become the defensive coordinator of the Eagles, and there was a little brief stint in the '70s where you got where you weren't with your dad for a couple of seasons, but essentially from '73 all the way until the end of that time in New Orleans, you guys had had almost been together every season. So. Um, was it was it different at all, or difficult to to be joining a staff for the first time in about fifteen years, where your dad wasn't part of it when you went to Philadelphia? Oh, I wouldn't say difficult. I mean, it was still coaching. I mean, you know, uh, you know, he let you coach. I mean, that's you know, that's what you did. So, and he let me be a coordinator. I mean, it wasn't like he was in there, you know, telling us what to do or or doing stuff. I mean, he, he was a head coach, but he didn't, if I had questions, I asked him, you know, but, but, you know, I was, I don't know if the word's autonomous. <laughs> I don't know if I'll need that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'd been coordinator for, you know, five years there. So, sure. So I was pretty used to it. And I had to learn a whole new defense when, when I went with Buddy Ryan, cause that's the only time I really coached in the, a four three or a forty six defense then too. So, but I learned a lot with Buddy. So you know, and Jeff Fisher, Jeff Fisher and I were pretty young, and um, you know we were working together, which is great to work with him too, because he's he was a sharp guy, and, and he knew all the stuff from the Bears, you know. Right. So, so that worked out good. What did you think of the 46 defense when you were learning it? I mean, obviously you'd seen it around the league, but when you were being taught that defense and having to then teach it to players, what, what did you think of it after being in the three, four for so long? Uh, well, it was, it was very complicated and the, uh, uh, the language was all from the bears, which, uh, they, they named everything after something with, with, with the Bears players, so therefore at Philadelphia, you had to memorize everything. The players had to memorize everything. Okay. You know they, they like they, for instance, they call it cheeseburger blitz. You know they had the cheeseburger blitz. That's because Otis Wilson liked cheeseburgers. <laughs> but you know, so he knew when they called cheeseburger anything with cheeseburger in it, he rushed. Well, Philadelphia, none of those guys <laughs> knew who liked cheeseburgers and who didn't, and. And so it was all memorization, so it made it tougher. And and, uh, and I worked with Jeff. Jeff worked with me on that kind of stuff because I said, you know, we got we got to we got to have some way for the players to relate, you know, to things rather than uh, rather than them memorize every defense because there were so many defenses you can't. I mean, I, I still can't name them all, you know, and so many adjustments. 
Uh, so it was a lot more complicated. Uh, uh, so it, and therefore, you know, it was, it was harder. It's hard because they play the Bears, you know, at the Bears, they, at that time in football, there's no free agency, but so those guys played together, you know, they, they didn't have to reteach to a lot of players each year. And as they went along, they just added cheeseburger or they added something with uh, Singletary, whatever they called his, you know, so they added with the players and they, they knew those things. First thing is know what to do. Right. You know, well, you know, you can't, and, and they've had some trouble with it. I mean, Jeff, when he went to the Rams, you know, he had some trouble with it because, uh, because of the same thing, because it's hard to teach all of it and have them execute it without making mistakes. And that's, that's football. You got, you, you can play one defense and play a great and be better than the team plays 25 defenses and can't play them, you know? So it's, uh, it, it, it was, it's a complicated defense, but what I did from that was learn, uh, and learn the concepts overall. And so I added a lot of, a lot, I won't say a lot, but some, maybe 15% of our defense is, is some kind of concept from the 46. So I did learn some things that, uh, especially pressure stuff, uh, because it was good pressure, pressure front, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I incorporated that into what we do now, what I've done after that, I guess. The the verbiage part of, of offenses and defense has always been really interesting to me. And, and when I was in Green Bay in the 2015 season, Dom Capers was going through the process of overhauling all of the, the language of his defensive playbook. And I had a chance to ask him why he was doing it. And he said to me, I have the quote here from the story I wrote. He said, quote, it takes time to say eagle wide open me special seven to where now you have a one word term and all those guys know the one word code term. So in other words, that same word would mean something for the defensive lineman, something different for the linebackers and something different for the secondary. As you went from team to team, especially, you know, later in your career, did you tend to keep some of the verbiage the same or did, do you have to kind of write new language every team you go to? Well, most of mine was the same because we had it simple enough. You could learn quickly. Our, our teaching progression is, is, you know, and I don't know if you know, but we we've done well in the first year, almost yep. everywhere I've been. Absolutely. And they and they weren't good the year before, uh, and I and I, you know, I think a lot of it's the teaching progression of, of yeah, you got to change the language and what whatever they were before, but the language that you that you put in has to be learned quickly, and it has to be learned by. A rookie or a or a ten year vet that's been calling something same thing for ten years, so uh, you know I could teach our defense pretty quick. And uh, you know the first thing is know what to do. And you know they say they say uh, you know if you don't if you don't have to think, you know then you play faster. But that's not really true. If you know what to do, then you play faster. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You know, you know, and so. Uh, that's that's what I always prided myself and our staff of being able to do is, is to, because that's what we do. I mean, that's what you are as a coach is to teach them, you know, what to do. And it, it's a reaction. I mean, defense is reaction and recognition. So uh, they have to know what to do when they go in motion or they have to know, know what they do when they shift. And they have to know what they do in each formation. So, 
it, it's a, it's, it, everybody says it's a simple game. Yeah, it is in some ways, but it, it's com- complicated because the offense is, you know, they may come out and empty or no, no back, no nothing. And then the next play they're playing, you know, uh, 23 personnel. So two so tight ends and two backs and two, two three tight ends. So what would be an example of um, of one of your play calls? You don't have to tell me what the play means because if you ever get into coaching again, I don't want you to give away any secrets. But what would be like a typical name of a play? What is that like for you? Yeah, because I was at, when I was uh, Matt Schaub, when I was at Houston, Matt Schaub, he said, <laughs> he said, what do you call that defense? I said, Will Bullets Cover 2. He said, is that all? I said, yep. And he said, well, we have about 20 words in some of our calls. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Offensively. No, our calls are, are simple, you know, and they're simpler than uh, – because I, I, I think I followed Dom Capers before, and their nose guard was making a lot of mistakes because they changed everything on motion. But anyway, that's another story. But, uh, um, but uh, you know, we, we, we say, hey, no mental mistakes, and so we're going we're gonna to teach you well enough. Because we have the answers to the test. We know the test is, you know, knowing what to do. Well, the coaches have the answers. We just give them to them, you know, so they don't make mistakes. When you had the opportunity to to become a a head coach for the, you know, in terms of a a full head coach rather than interim for the first time in Denver, did did that moment carry with it sort of the the feeling of accomplishment that you you thought you might have had the first time, you know, if if it didn't go under the circumstances of your dad stepping down? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, because I, you know, at the time... (laughs) You know, I think I'd been coaching what 15 years. I mean, right. So you, I thought, wow, you know, I've been coaching a long time in the league, and and uh, you know, I finally got an opportunity to be a head coach. So, uh, you know, I don't know why you think you're going to be a head coach. You know, uh, but uh, you know, after 14, 15, 16 years, but I thought I, I thought I should be. <laughs> uh, it's like my dad said. I, I always thought I was a good, good head coach, or a good coach, but some the, pe- the people hiring didn't always know that. Yeah, that was a great quote from your dad. Exactly that. Sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes you have to fire good coaches, and sometimes good coaches don't get hired. But that's just because the people hiring don't know that they're good coaches. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So as a head coach, how did you kind of uh, try and, you know, sort of split your time a little bit? Did you still want to, did you still have the urge to call plays as a defensive minded head coach or could you not really do that because of the the overall responsibilities you had? Yeah. When I first took over, when I took over Denver, uh, you know, I thought the head coach ought to be, you know, more like my dad, you know, who, who just, uh, basically, uh, was in control of situations and not offense or defense. And uh, I tried to do it that way, and I really made a mistake doing that, uh, or I felt like I did when it was all over. It was all over quickly in two years. But uh, first year we went to playoffs. Second year we we went seven and nine. So, uh, and but the second year we changed from a three four to a four three defense because that's what the Defensive coaches wanted to run, which, um, you know, I really, 
I let them do it because I thought they felt, you know, they because they were running it basically. Right. I went to Buffalo when I went to Buffalo. I made sure that I I was involved in the defense. And same thing in Dallas. Um, you know, when I became a head coach, the other times I I changed it because I learned something. You know, I thought, you know, I'm taking my expertise out of it. You know, and the only reason I got to be head coach is because I was pretty good defensive coordinator. So no doubt about uh, it. So uh, so I uh, uh, so that changed after after I, after Denver. You know, when you have that opportunity in Dallas, um, you know, again, being a, being somebody who grew up and spent so much time in Texas, everybody knows, you know, how much that franchise means to the state. And, and when you get to become head coach of the Cowboys in 07, you replace Bill Parcells, uh, you know, another legendary head coach who retires. And, you know, that defense had a, a number of, of talented guys on it in your, you know, your first year there, five pro bowlers with Roy Williams, Ken Hamlin, Terrence Newman, Gary Ellis, and then headlined by DeMarcus Ware. And DeMarcus is a guy I wanted to ask you about because I've, you know, I've seen quotes from you over the years about how fond you are of him and how much respect you have for his game. But, you know, at that point in time, that marked in 2007, the beginning of a three-year run where he makes first-team All-Pro three straight years. And then, of course, you get to work with him again in Denver down the line. So, you know, when it came to DeMarcus, what makes him, you know, one of the, the all-time great pass rushers? Uh, well, it wasn't me, but it was him. <laughs> he, uh, you know, he, he was already a great player when I got there. Uh, but, uh, I will say this and their defensive scheme overall, uh, they found out the teams that were playing found out that if you split a second receiver out on his side, he always had to drop and the inside backer had to rush. So they got him out of rushing, you know, and that's when, you know, when I went, like I said, when, in our defense, when we if you, we tell them if your name's called, you rush. You know, that's pretty simple. Well, if you call Will Rush, we're not going to get we're not going to change it where somebody else is rushing. Well, they did, and so the, they they found that out, and so they took him out of rushes. Uh, that was the first thing I noticed when I went there. That, that uh, so we 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 made sure that we didn't do that when he went to when, uh, when we went there and uh, you know he but he was a great player but you got to let him rush you know he can't he can't he can't be dropping and he can't change his assignment you know when he has a rush assignment and all of a sudden they go in motion or they put a second guy out there you, you know scheme wise well yeah it sounds good that he should drop out and the other guy should rush but. Uh, now your 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 best rush guy is dropping, and your worst rush rusher is now rushing. I mean, so those kinds of things didn't make sense to me, and so I made sure that didn't happen. You know, you had a, an opportunity to coach a, a number of these, you know, kind of transcendent talents, if you will. You know, you get a chance to coach Reggie White with the Eagles. You have an opportunity to coach Bruce Smith in Buffalo. You have J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, you know, DeMarcus Ware is a tremendous player as well, Von Miller. When you have these guys that are you know, the cream of the crop at their position. You mentioned how, um, you know, when it came to DeMarcus, you said he already was a great player and it wasn't necessarily me that, that made him great. So what, is, what does a coach do to try and take advantage of, of a guy who has that kind of ability to, to get after the passer? What are you doing schematically to try and help those people? Uh, 
Well, just like I said, we, we're going we're to let him rush. You're not going to let him – he's not going to drop a lot into coverage. Uh, we're going to try to put him at the point of attack as much as we can, and certainly in any passing situation or, or really in first and second down, we want him rushing in case it is a pass. So uh, we try to utilize their talent, whatever it is, you know, and, uh, and, and even match them up uh, in certain instances, you know. So – I mean, Aaron Donald, we, we rushed him over the center sometimes, sometimes over the guard, left guard, sometimes over the right guard because that was the best matchup. So um, we did the same thing with Reggie White. I mean, you know, so, so uh, you know, it's just utilizing the – I mean, they're the talent, you know, so we gotta, but we got to make sure that they, they're able to utilize their talent. Is it uh, is it fun for you as a, as a coach to to have kind of that uh, that chess piece, if you will, that that you feel no matter who is lined up across from him, you know he can win his one on one matchup. Does that allow you to do separate things? And the reason I ask is I was talking one time to to Dennis Thurman, who was the the secondary coach for Rex Ryan there, um, you know, with the Jets when when Darrell Revis had you know some of his tremendous seasons, and and he said that you know Darrell allowed them to do things in terms of him locking down one side of the field so that they could almost then kind of coach the other 10 guys because they knew Darrell could do what Darrell was going to do. Do you have that at all, or can you have that at all with pass rushers too, where you almost say, okay, the right side of the offensive line, we don't have to worry about that because Von Miller coming off the left end spot, you know, he's going to get that taken care and taken care of for us, so let's focus on how to get pressure somewhere else. Does, it, does that apply at all, or am I making a false analogy? No, that applies. I mean, you know, it's just like uh, like with Aaron Donald. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna try to, especially an inside player. They're gonna. That's why we moved Reggie White outside. When we first had him, he was playing inside. He's playing defensive tackle. We moved him to defensive end, so they couldn't put the center double him with the center all the time. Right. Aaron Aaron overcomes that, and we 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 make them what we call five down and make them block block protect five down so he gets one-on-one as much as you can you know you have to do that too uh, by by the defensive looks and so forth and a three four does that naturally anyway but but uh, a four three they can slide the center towards one of the guys easier than they can a three four so that's why that's always good but yeah i mean but i start you know i started out uh, i coached uh curly Culp and elvin Bethay who are in the hall of fame and Robert Brazil, who's in the Hall of Fame. You know, I coached the linebackers first year and then D-line the next year. And so I started out with three Hall of Fame players. I thought I was a hell of a coach at the time because <laughs> anything, I, anything I asked them to do, they could do, you know. And, and yeah, we could utilize them any way we wanted to. And so, uh, uh, and so you know, since then, I hadn't had – I don't – I've had some – really great players but i hadn't had i don't think i've had three hall of famers on the field at the same time yeah the, that was front. like that was like when the, I think it was maybe the second episode of my podcast, I was talking to Dave McGinnis and he breaks into the league for the first time as the linebackers coach for the Bears and he goes, yeah, my first pupil was Mike Singletary. That made my job a lot easier, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, but you still have to utilize what they can do, you know, and, and you know, I mean, J.J. Watt, J.J. Watt could recognize formations. He knew what for. I mean, he's playing in three points. I mean, he's got his hand down, 
you know, linebackers can recognize formations and when a guy goes in motion, when, you know, those kind of things, but he could recognize formations. So we let him, we let him stunt certain ways on certain formations, you know, rather than playing just a single position. I mean, it's just what they can do. You let them do, especially the great ones. You got to get them involved. You know, if, you know, I've said it before, but it, if, if your scheme doesn't, doesn't help a you know a great player then you've got a bad scheme you know so uh if he can't because i went you know when i went to the rams they said oh boy you're gonna play a three uh, a three four and Aaron Donald's the best three technique four three three technique in the in the league you know and uh they said you're gonna mess him up you know well we messed him up to the defensive player of the year twice <laughs> in three years yeah. and set the all-time record for most sacks of any inside player so uh, but you know where we played him in our three four. As Do you a, know where we played him? Yeah, he played, we played as him a, at a three, three technique. Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we adjusted the defense where he could play three technique. Not because we play a three four, and this is the way we play it. We play it because the player can what what he can do. Does that and look- that that that's what some people? I mean. Even coaches, I mean, they just, this is our scheme. This is what we do, and every player has to play this way. They're all different, you know? I mean, you better better take that. And that's what I talk to high school coaches about, too, is they're all different. So let me ask you this, then. For a guy who has had so much success in, you know, the first season in particular when you go to a lot of new places and nowhere was that more, you know, apparent than Denver when you guys win the Super Bowl, how, how do you kind of um, – how, how does that you kind know, but of? I, I, you say that you say that one, but you know, when I went to the Texans, they, they were thirty first in defense. Well, we went yeah, to second. That's true. We that's true. In term, yeah, in terms of net when change. I went, when I went, when I went to, to San Diego, when I was San Diego Chargers, we had the first pick in the draft. That means we had the worst team in football. We went twelve and four the first year. Right. You know, I mean, so it. it <laughs> It's not just it's it's learn to win games and 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 teach them quickly how to play and how, you know and where they don't make mistakes and and they all say it's simple but it, I think it's teaching progression that we do it quickly and, we, and that's what Dan Reeves asked me when I went the first time I went to Denver he said can you can you play young players because they had a guy named Michael Brooks who was a good player, and they, he was sitting on the bench. You know, he made the Pro Bowl, I think, the first year that we were there he was, because he was a good player. But he wasn't playing because he couldn't learn the defense, you know, because he was a young player. And, you know, some of them say, well, it takes four or five years to learn this defense, you know. Well, I don't have four or five years, number right. one. Right, coaches, coaches don't have four or five years for sure. And I coached in high school, too. And, and you know, you have to play – you know, it changes every year of the players that you have. And I, you can say what you want, but what a third of your team's gone every year in the NFL. No doubt. You know, so, uh, so you, you have to have a good system of teaching, not, not, not scheme, but system of teaching where you can utilize your players. Yeah. But, 
I, I guess what, what I was what I was curious about is if you're if you're trying to find the best ways to utilize your players, that obviously means you have to be able to learn about them and see what they can and can't do. So I, I guess I was wondering how do you go through the process of learning enough about your players to put them in the right spots while also having immediate success the way that you have. Well, you have to watch. You know, just like I said, when we watch the we watch the tape or film from the year before, and and the Marcus Ware wasn't rushing. You know, well, <laughs> I mean, it seemed pretty simple to me. You know, well, let's get him rushing more. Right. You know, but I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, you can see talented players. You know who the who real good players are from. You know, just watching them from the year before, basically, and. Uh, but I mean, you know, I've had rookies that played pretty good too. So uh, Ricky Jackson played pretty good. Yeah. Merriman played pretty dang good. Yeah. Uh, Sean Phillips, you know, I mean, so it's just utilizing their talent and, and letting them do what they do well. Now we've always, we've always rushed the passer well, and I, I, it's because the emphasis we put on it, and, and I think teaching method that we have, um, we've we've always rushed the passer well. We've always had. I think we've been in the top five every team I've been with, so, uh, and that's quite a few teams. So. <laughs> no doubt. So, so what was it about that that 2015 Broncos team then that that really sticks out to you in terms of being special? They finish. They allow the fewest yards in the NFL, the fewest passing yards, third fewest rushing yards, fourth fewest points, first in sacks, as you mentioned, first in uh, yards per carry allowed in terms of the fewest. And you know you have four Pro Bowlers on that team: and Von Miller, Demarcus Ware, Chris Harris, uh, and Aqib Talib. So. You know that team. Do, do they hold a, a fond place in your memory with all that they achieved? Well, yeah. If you win it all like they did, I mean, we had some opportunities that other teams, you know, that I've been with, that you know, we might have could have gotten there, that kind of thing. Or you know, at Buffalo, we were number one in the league in defense, and and uh, like I say, we were second with the Texans uh, at first year. I mean, so we had some opportunities, but th- that team. Uh, that team was really amazing. I mean, they just – that defense I'm talking about was really amazing uh, because because they played so well. And, you know, I mean – and they didn't worry about – they didn't worry about the other side of the ball. They just – they worried about, you know, themselves and doing the best they could do and outplaying the other – outplaying the other team's defense. You know, if – you know, if they held us to, you know – uh, six, then we were going to hold the other team to three. I mean, that's just the way they played. So, um, because I've been on teams where there's been around teams where one side a lot better than the other side. Sure. And, and it's easy to blame the other side when you lose, you know, now, this team wasn't that way at all. You know, they just, they just didn't feel like if we lost it, they didn't feel like they played well enough, you know, and they obviously played well enough to win uh, all of them or, it was a great. It was the playoff run was even better. I mean, no doubt. Beat Roethlisberger, beat Roethlisberger and and uh, uh, and Brady and and Cam, who was the MVP, was just playing great in all those games, especially on third downs, was phenomenal. So yeah, it was it was a special group, and you know we'll we'll be bonded together, you know, for a long, long time because of that. And I'm, I'm I was really proud of those guys. They they, uh, you know, they, they, 
they, they were good players, but they were they had a lot of good leaders and 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 I think our coaches, not me, but our coaches, we had coaching them did a great job. The way that you described the mindset of, you know, hey, if the offense only scores six, then we have to hold the opponent to three. It reminded me of a conversation I had with Marvin Lewis, who was the the defensive coordinator of that unbelievable Ravens defense in 2001. And and that team, you know, uh, that was was famous for a a stretch there in the middle of the season where I think they, they went like, you know, three or four games in a row without scoring a touchdown or something like that. And, and the defense, you know, had to basically shoulder so much of the load. I, I'm wondering with, with that Denver crew, were they just as intense in practice and things as they were on Sundays? And is that part of, of what it takes to be great? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that they were more intense than anybody else that way. Uh, they just, we just had a real smart group and a real talented group. Uh, they didn't make any mistakes and, you know, they didn't make mistakes. You couldn't, you couldn't say that, you know, that they were going to make mistakes and get, get themselves beat. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we played, <laughs> we played that last game of the season against the chargers and, you know, we had five turnovers in, in the first, uh, four turnovers, the first half offensively and one in the, in the, uh, uh, third early in the third quarter. So we had five quick turnovers in that game. And still won, and uh, but that's the way they played. They didn't care, you know. It's just they go back out and play, you know. When the other team has the ball, we go out and play, and they and play our best, and that's what they did. You mentioned the playoff run being so special, and like you said, to beat the Steelers in the divisional round with Roethlisberger and then Brady in the AFC title game, and then Cam Newton, who was MVP and leading the number one ranked offense in the league. Uh, you know, maybe this is a hard question to answer, but what is it like to to game plan for you know those quarterbacks that are at the absolute top of the top of the league? Do you, do you feel uh, like you are matching wits with Tom Brady or Ben or Cam? No. Does it, no, no, I don't, I don't. It's not, it's not me. It's it's trying to get our players to play their best, and. If they play their best, then we're going to win. That's what I always tell them. Hey, if we play our best, we're going to win, and that's that's how you win. It's not it's not we're going to play so and so or this guy or that guy. We, we're going to play our best, you know. And yeah, I worry about <laughs> yeah Tom Brady. I mean, gee, how hard is he to beat? Jesus, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, Buddy used to be more personal like that. I mean, it was him against Eric Dickerson or him against whoever. Uh, I've never thought that way. I, it, you know, I just try to get my team to play the best they can play. And uh, those kind of guys can beat you anyway, you know, if you play really well. But I don't tell my players that. I tell my players if, if we play our best, our very best, and I, and I believe that, if we play our very best, then, then we're going to win the game. Do you remember you the – You have to play good enough to win. Yeah, that I mean, that's that's what it comes down to is is execution ultimately. Um, do, do you remember what it was like to game plan for Cam going into that Super Bowl? Of course, you have the extra week; it's two weeks. He's he's you know winning the MVP that year and just unbelievable with his legs and his arm in that season. How did you kind of you know draw up a game plan for that after two weeks against more traditional pocket passers? Well, we we felt like we had to. Uh... We we had to stop the running game, you know. I mean, we had to stop the, the running game and the quarterback from running running off with it, you know, because he ran with the ball quite a bit. So 
And they had designed plays for a quarterback to run just like they do Lamar Jackson. And we did with Michael Vick, you know. So, I mean, I've been around that. But um, we felt like if we could get them into a passing game, you know, where they had to throw the ball, that we we had an advantage. And we we started out, when we started out in the game, we had a spy on the quarterback because we were worried about him running with the ball, you know. So Vaughn was spying the quarterback. We were rushing four people and, and – Vaughn was spying the quarterback and it got early in the second quarter. And it, I said, I mean, we looked at it and said, our rush is too good. We don't need to, we don't need to spy. We need to rush. We need to rush every, all five of them, you know? And then, and then and that's when he sacked him for fumble touchdown. And, and then they had a big sack later on in the game that we got the ball on the five yard line. But, uh, but it would start out because, because against those kind of guys, you don't want to let them run with it, you know, uh, but our rush was so good. It, you change things during the game sometimes, and that's what we changed to. It said, "Hey, well, let let Vaughn rush too. Let's don't worry about it." So that's what we did. You know, you mentioned that you know Vaughn wins MVP in that game. You guys have seven sacks. You force four turnovers. After that season, you're named Assistant Coach of the Year. It's your first Super Bowl title. Um, you know, I, I, from this conversation, it's become very clear to me that that you don't necessarily take a lot of personal credit for things. But I'm wondering, you know, did it did it feel um, did it feel special to you in a way to to be able to you know win a Super Bowl and also do it in a season where you know everyone around the league recognized the contribution that that you and your defense made by giving you that award for the top assistant coach in the league? No, I mean, I, I no, not not necessarily. I, the the team and winning it all, and and you know, you don't get you don't get to do something that that. Uh, where you reach the ultimate and that's it, you know. I mean, you know, there's always uh, another goal or you got to win another game or whatever. When you win the Super Bowl, that's all you could do. You were the best team. You, you, you know, you did it all. So that, uh, you know, I take pride in that. You know, I mean, it is a you know, a great great feeling to say, hey, we did better than everybody else. You know, and nobody can dispute it. So, um, but. No, I, to, I you know I take enjoyment out of the players uh, being successful themselves. You know, and, uh, I think I get more of that, and and the and the other coaches, and and you know, Coop had had a you know a lot more to do with that than I did. I mean, he was the head coach, so uh, you know, he, he was the leader of the team that that, that won the Super Bowl. So I was happy for him. Yeah, I think, I think the the bond between you know you and your players from everything I've read and heard is is unique. And you know your next stop after Denver is to to go out and you go to you know Los Angeles to be with Sean McVay and the Rams. And one of your main components in Denver, Akib Talib, comes with you. And there's a great quote from him saying that you know nobody has allowed him to feel freer as a defensive player than than you did, and that you know he respects you and likes you so much that whenever he retires, he just wants to be able to be around you and spend time together so you know is, is that the kind of thing that you know in addition to whatever success you have on the field feels good as a coach to hear that the guys that you know you're you're going out there with every Sunday really do appreciate you as a as a person too that's more important yeah yeah I mean I'd like to win all the games and so forth but I, I don't think that's what life's about you know it's not necessarily all the games you win it's it's who you're with and 
uh, and the people. I mean, it's about people, and it, and that's why, you know, some of it is. I mean, we got to leave, and we go to the Super Bowl again with him. You yep. know, I mean, you know, and he wasn't he wasn't quite as good a player as he was then. But but you can count on. There's people you can count on. You know, and hopefully I was one of those people too. But but it's players that you can count on that that uh, that you put your faith in, basically. Was it special for you to kind of come full circle a little bit? I know he had been quality control when you were in Dallas, but was it special to have Wes, you know, with you in in Los Angeles, kind of bringing the father son full circle a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're I think we're the with us and the Shulers are the only three generation NFL families. So uh, that you know, and I'm proud of him. And I, I you know, I. <laughs> I've come full circle in that, you know, I, I coached with my dad and that was just such a neat deal for me. And then I got to coach with my son and that was even better. You know, it was, and, and I realized how much my dad was proud of me as, as I am of my son. And that made me feel good. Did you, um, did you find yourself teaching him the game and bringing him along the same way when he was younger? Not now, I mean, but when the same way that that bum did for you, were you kind of trying to emulate your dad a little bit and, and the the connection he brought you to the game? Well, I mean, I, I did pretty much what my dad did, which said, hey, you know, if you if you want to be around it, you know, come on around, but you're always welcome. But you know, it's really it's really what interest he had, you know, and and what interest I had. So I, you know, uh, I was just, and then, uh, you know, I saw real, I saw real early. He, he had the, he could make good decisions, you know? So, uh, you know, and that's, that's, that's part of being a good coach is making as, even as a player, uh, he, he made a lot of right decisions. And, and I think that helps you coaching wise for sure. There was a period of time before he joined the Rams where, you know, you guys were both in the NFL but with different franchises. Did did you find yourself calling him or him calling you after games the same way you used to with Bum? Yeah, not as much. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I mean, we keep in touch. I mean, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's the black sheep of the family. You know, you know that because he's on offense. But... <laughs> True. <laughs> That's, we always kid him, but he's a great coach. He really is a great coach. And everybody around him says that, so it's not just me. So, and uh, so I'm I'm really proud of him. And you know, I said I wish we were still together, but that's that's not the way it is. Yeah, and, and I'll kind of get you out of here on that. You know, I, I read a bunch of quotes from, from you throughout, you know, February in the coaching circle into, excuse me, coaching carousel into March that said you'd like to still give it a chance. Now, you know, I don't know if that opportunity is going to come, but now that a few months have gone by, do you still feel the same that you'd still like to and, and be able to contribute, you know, positively to some team at some point? Well, I think that's the thing. I, I feel like I could contribute somewhere, you know. So I, I uh uh, I don't want to be through coaching, but I might be. So we'll just see. What um, you know, you, you, the last time we we spoke on the phone, you talked about doing some projects and some studies and things. What what are the ways that you can kind of stay involved through through those types of avenues? And and does that scratch the itch even a little bit for you? No, I mean I can, uh, you know, I watch games and so forth, but 
you know, you're either coaching or you're not. So <laughs> if you're not, well then I'm going to enjoy life when I'm not. So it's not going to be all, it's not going to be all coaching, you know, cause I'm, I'm not involved in it. So, but uh, I am involved with my son because he's still coaching and, uh, uh, and I have a lot of good friends in the league that, uh, you know, I pull for. So, uh, you know, I might watch their games and so forth, but, you know, I have, I have a, I mean, if I go back and I'm a coordinator, well, then I, you know, I'm pretty well set as far as I mean, things aren't going to change that much. Sure. You know, so, um, from from last year, from this last year, if I go back and, um, but you know, I told them too, if they want a senior assistant, I'd definitely qualify the senior part. I don't know about the <laughs> That is true. Senior that part. is true. I got the senior part down pretty good. Yeah, I remember talking to Dom Capers about that. He was saying how, you know, if he wasn't coaching in some capacity, he wasn't really sure what he would do as much with his days because, you know, he's still, and he's, I mean, you know, Dom, he's super old school, still charts everything by hand and still uses whiteout and still has somebody, you know, uh, create all the reports for him because he prefer, on a computer because he prefers to do it by hand. But, you know, I hope you, you get another chance in the NFL because, you know, in addition to all the success that you've had across franchises, I think, you know, everybody, uh, you know, who, who has known you or, or been around you appreciates the personality and the fun that you bring to the game as well. So I, I can't thank you enough for, for taking a little more than an hour out of your day to, to share some stories with me and teach me a little bit about the game because I had a lot of fun and, and I appreciate learning okay. from, from okay. somebody who's really <laughs> successful. So, so thank you very much. I appreciate that. So there you have it, a conversation with the one and only Wade Phillips. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. There was so much information in there that I didn't know before. I had no idea that he and his dad took the ideas for their zone coverages away from basketball zone defenses. I had never heard of an NFL coach drawing on tennis exercises to improve lateral movement because tennis players run the baseline so often. It was just fascinating to hear him talk about you know, what it's like to, to coach a player like J.J. Watt who is so smart and can read defense defenses that he's given more latitude and more freedom to do things than any other defensive lineman he's been around these are the types of stories that you you can't really get from guys while they're coaching because they're they're more buttoned up they're more tight-lipped they don't want to give away any tricks of the trade if you will so now that Wade is is on the outside you know temporarily hoping to get back in he has the opportunity to share stories like that and be a little bit more open and that was awesome to hear I really really enjoyed it don't forget that support for today's program is brought to you by Manscaped, the industry leader in men's below-the-belt grooming. You can get 20% off your order plus free shipping by using the promo code COHEN, C-O-H-E-N, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off your entire order plus free shipping by using the promo code COHEN, C-O-H-E-N, at manscaped.com. Thanks again for everyone who tuned in to today's show. You can find episodes of the program available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you listen to shows. So until the next episode of this podcast, I hope you have a terrific rest of your day, a terrific rest of your week, and I will talk to you again soon. Thank you.